Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. So I'm Matt Sawyer, live at the Mississippi Book Festival, here with wonderful author Jamila Minix. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I was just telling you how I cried at the last three pages of your book. <laughs> I cried too. And it's because it's a hard-won love story. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that there. I mean, okay. this really is a love mm-hmm. story. Absolutely. With, between Alice and Raymond, Alice and Alabama, yes. you and Alabama. Yes. So let's, let's talk about the love that you have for Alabama and how you were trying to profess that through this story. Oh, that's such a great question. It's so layered, you know, because... My people are from Demopolis, Alabama, which I, you know, I just sort of hinted at. So a lot of it was wanting to relate to the world, what I grew up with knowing about Alabama. And it wasn't, you know, I would get these assignments, for instance, in school and say, go home and ask your people what they were doing during the civil rights movement. My mom grew up in Demopolis. My granddaddy was a carpenter. My, my grandmother was a homemaker. She, we had businesses, owned land. My granddaddy had chickens and, you know, and we grew our food. We hunted our food. We fished in the Tom Bigby River. And it's not to say that we didn't, my family didn't experience anti-blackness and white racist violence. It's not to say that. But what it is to say is that my family was living. Mm. And so my family just has this incredible love of Alabama. A lot of my people are still in Demopolis, still in Alabama to this day. And so, you know, my mom always said, you want to talk about Alabama, let's talk about the fact that the sin wasn't in the soil where we hunted and grew our food. It wasn't in the Tom Bigby where she was baptized. The sin is in the hearts of man. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about we love this place and we're allowed to love this place and we're allowed to fight against the sin in the hearts of man. So I wanted this book to represent my love for Alabama and my family's love for Alabama. I always said I would never have published this book if my family couldn't be behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm very fortunate that they were they're, they're happy about it. That's such a common theme that I've noticed interviewing people that, that are so connected to a place mm-hmm. that, that the, the thing that matters is do my people love it? Oh, yeah. Do they feel respected? Do they feel like their story is reflected in that? And, you know, I love talking to people about their mothers. Oh. And especially in Mississippi, you can't meet, you know, hardly anybody doesn't want to talk about the influence of, of their mother on their lives in, in the everyday ways and uh, you once said that your mother is the epitome of Alabama women. Oh, absolutely. H- I mean... How? So Alice Young, her maiden name is Young. My people are Youngs in Demopolis. And Alice is really my mama, her sisters, all the women in my family. They're really, they're diamond hard. You know, they really have this incredible sense of self. These are women who, to me, and you know, I'm biased because my people are Alabama, but they're incredibly smart. They're self-assured in a way that they're so full of self-assurance that you can't help but be self-assured around them because for them, being black is everything. They are incredibly talented, funny. I mean, my, my mama would cut you 
if with an insult and you would be bleeding 12 ways a Sunday and not know it until two weeks later. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they all know their own mind. And what an incredible gift to grow up around women who are so assured like that and so confident. And so, you know, they're not perfect. We're stubborn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can be stubborn to be unyielding. I'm not going to deny that. But, you know, that's to me part of the the gift of the self-assurance that you come up, you sit a certain way and you you act a certain way. And just being around, I told you, I was just in Hobson City. Yeah, yeah. You know, the oldest black municipality in Alabama. People, their, for, their spines are like forged with steel. They're ramrod straight. I love that. You know, and that yeah. that's what, that's to me what, what Alabama women are. And my mama was just, yes, the epitome of that. Gosh, yeah, there's so much, like, there's so much soul in your story oh, that you can tell comes you. from the ancestral connection that you're trying to, to speak through, you know, or use as strength. And, and it's a courageous book in a lot of ways uh, because of the story that it's trying to tell and the way it goes about it. I want to say a funny aside about Demopolis. Mm-hmm. I actually never been to Demopolis until a painter in, in Western North Carolina where I live. Uh-huh. I saw a reading of his at our local indie bookstore, and he moved from England. Mm-hmm. to Alabama because he read a story about Demopolis. Really? And its whole history. Mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. stayed in the South or in Appalachia ever since. Mm-hmm. But I did go to Demopolis um, last summer so that I could just see it so and kind of were... figure it out. And it was a new yeah. place to me. But the one thing that you talked about with your mother and other people in your family is similar to Alice in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, when she when she gets to New Jessup, mm-hmm. seeing yourself in teachers... Mm-hmm. and doctors mm-hmm. and police officers. That's not an, always an experience for black children. And they had that. That was their whole life. Right. Let's talk about how you played into that history with, with your mom and, and her family of being in a community where you could be self-assured because everybody was what you might want to become someday. Right. You know, there's this idea that if you can see it, you can be it. Right. And so there wasn't. And of course, there were there are always going to be in any community. There's going to be strife and struggle intra community. Right. Um, but you did have doctors living next to domestic workers living next to carpenters all in a row. Right. You had all these people who were in community with one another because their children were in school together. Their children were in dance school together. They were in church together. You had all these people who were together. And so, you know, when you're constantly around people and you see just this beautiful, like at the beginning of the book, when Alice looks around and she sees all the different colors of black people. One of the ways that I envision that is also just seeing the the multitude of just people at different levels of achievement and not, you know, you learn that it's like my granddaddy, like I said, was a carpenter. He and his brothers opened a carpentry business. They all built one another's homes by hand using scraps from like homes that were being demolished on the other side of town, right? And so those houses are still still standing today. So when I think about all of the things I can look around in Demopolis, Alabama, in the year of our Lord, 2023, and see my family very much had an impact on, so very much like left their imprint and is still leaving their imprint, that means something to me. And so to think about how impressionable kids are, 
you know, now we always, you know, it's sort of a buzzword. We talk about Hollywood and we talk about representation matters, mm-hmm. but that ain't nothing new under the sun. Representation oh, no. has always mattered. You know, and, and yeah, it's hardly, it's hardly an issue of the screen only mm-hmm. or, or music only. I remember um, coal miners' daughter and granddaughter, you know, five generations. And she said, you know, the way they depicted us or the way you felt about being part of a coal community as a child is it limited how you felt you could function in the world. Mm-hmm. And so when Alice steps off that bus and becomes part of this world, her view of how to function completely changes. Mm-hmm. So can you, you modeled this off of a lot of real communities. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about how those all black communities, not necessarily municipalities, right? But, mm-hmm. but these places, how that influenced um, your writing of Alice coming from a world where, oh, what was the quote? You had an amazing about, <laughs> about freedom, and I, I want to get to it. Um, oh, it, oh, yeah, the freedom from segregation mm-hmm. versus the freedom to be truly free. Yes. So, you know, I think that it's really important, first of all, for us to acknowledge that, you know, I get this, I get a question sort of similar about, was it better for black people under segregation? And I laugh because... I don't dare go to my elders and say something like that because segregation was Jim Crow was a system of laws designed to perpetuate this sort of second class citizenship. I mean, it could be anything, you know, it could be that black people weren't allowed to own dogs. It would be that we had to go in back doors. It could be any number of things that were laws that that were designed to make sure that we maintain second class citizenship. So when I talk about the distinction between segregation and independence. You know, one of the things you talk about and one of the things you see in these communities is this real language of independence. And that, I mean, language matters. So our self-assurance, people have that self-assurance because they come up with this language of empowerment. To say to somebody, you're better off under segregation is to tell somebody you're better off under this society where you're told you have to walk in through a back door, as opposed to saying we're better off in independence and saying we have full control of our resources. We have full voting autonomy. We have full control of the way that we run our community. It's two totally different things. So when you come into a community and these communities exist to this day. So, you know, you come into a community and you see somebody with a ramrod straight spine, you can see that they've come up with this language of empowerment. That's nothing new either. And so I wanted, I wrote this book because I wanted black people to see ourselves in a way that we're empowered when we're talking about ourselves. So, you know, and you know, what's important to me also is that Alice got that, not from New Jessup. She came into New Jessup with that because her parents raised her in love. And so, you know, we talk about this being a love story, but it, that's also something that's very important for readers to see that Alice Alice had that spine forged before she stepped off that greyhound. Yeah, I think that was the interesting thing is mm-hmm. seeing not someone being changed by other people coming into her own. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so powerful, mm-hmm. um, even up until the when it got really dicey mm-hmm. with the argument in, in mm-hmm. D.C., right? Mm-hmm. But there was this, <laughs> uh, this intense part. I was like stressed. You were stressed? I was, yeah, I was like, oh, what's, what's going to happen? Are they going to throw down in the hallway? Like, I mean, she would have. But the, it she was that, that self-assuredness that it was always within her. And I feel Absolutely. like a lot of people experience that. It's like they don't get a chance to express it in that freedom 
right in in a community it has to be kind of bottled up and i just mm-hmm. thought yeah her coming into her own was was so special and the language being important is something mm-hmm. that really uh struck me in this book with the dialogue mm-hmm. and the way you talked about this community because it is about independence it's about resilience mm-hmm. and strength with each other mm-hmm. you didn't really sometimes with authors there can be a tendency to talk more about the conflict with the white community mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. But this really much felt so focused on the, what was going on inside of New Jessup between generations. Uh, but but the language there, you, you said something really wonderful about um, when you read other books, mm-hmm. you didn't hear your people. Or that doesn't sound like my people. You know, and, and that was so, that to me was so important because like I said, my family I love my family. They are diamond hard. If they had read this manuscript and found anything. In fact, my cousin Deborah, I had in one version of the manuscript, instead of Miss Vivian, M-I-S-S, it was Miss. And it was this version. It had gone through several copy edits. Something happened. And, like, the Miss got changed to Miss. And also, Mama, throughout, had been changed in some places to avoid repetition, changed to Mom or Mother. Mm. And my cousin Deborah said, now, you know, when I talk about my mama, I talk about my mama. I don't say my mother. Mm -hmm. I say my mama. She said, and nobody's talking about Ms. Vivian. We're talking about Miss Vivian because that's how we were raised. So my family, down to the detail, is going to tell me that that I got something wrong. And it's not to cut me down, not to take me down a peg, to let me know that if I get out here to fix my mouth and say this book represents me and my family, my ancestors and Alabama and black love for Alabama, I better get it right. So, you know, to me, that that is just I wanted to show that that with Alice, even when she came to New Jessup, you know, it's called Moonrise Over New Jessup because she comes to New Jessup and she's smart and she's determined and she's creative. But like you said, she's been boxed in, right? Jim Crow boxes you in, right? Mm -hmm. But when she's surrounded by blackness, she can rise and shine. That's why she's the moonrise. And then she can, she can spread her gifts to other people. Yeah. She's a light for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's the one thing I came away. So that's why I was so emotional. It just, it, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is nothing better than seeing a good person, you know, come into their own and grow in a story. Mm-hmm. And, and she's not perfect. No, you know, she's not. No. Perfect. And how could you be with her background? No, I mean, you can't be. But, you know, she and she has secrets and she made, you know, mistakes and she did like we all do. And I think that was really important to say, like, I will. I'm the first to admit I am stubborn. People know me. They know I'm stubborn. I get it honestly, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but you know, she has her faults, too, because she's human. Longing. Her longing in this story. A lot of people's longing, but hers with her mm-hmm. sister mm-hmm. in particular was mm-hmm. devastating and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And even when you talked about the sky folding in half yeah. so they could come together. I mean, yeah. all of that, it was just, you could feel how sad she was. But at the same time... She's in this community now that she wishes she could bring her sister to. But going back to the point about uh, you, you're protective of Alabama. Yes. <laughs> because you once said that, you know, it's not like uh, yeah, anti-blackness is only in the South. Absolutely not. And Chicago in this story mm-hmm. kind of 
alludes to that mm-hmm. is that not you don't just leave Alabama and have a better life, right? It's just a different manifestation of a lot of the same problems. Mm-hmm. Talk about the relationship between Alice and her sister and that longing mm-hmm. um, in the midst of also being in a place that you, for, for the first time, can feel like yourself. You know, uh, Alice and Rosie came up in the same family, had the same parents, had the, you know, similar experiences um, coming up. Absolutely. But they're two different girls. And, um, you know, but they're still very close. Like, Rosie was Alice's original love. You know, what I I always think about, even today when I look in the sky, I see that little fingernail moon. I think about the two of them out there. And she said, what are you doing out here? Oh, just putting a little magic in my thumb. She said, oh, I want a little magic too, right? (laughs) It melted me. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) That scene is great. But you know, you can see a five and six-year-old girl out there and the night sky, you know, the sky is just wide. It's all outside and dark like that. And it's just nothing but stars. And you can see these two girls. And Alice says, you know, each one of those stars is one of my ancestors. I mean, think about how grounding that is, that all my ancestors who have ever existed on this soil can see me right here on this little porch in Rensselaer, Alabama, where they came up, right? And so they have this experience together. But Rosie, like so many people, thinks that the grass is greener, the ice is colder, everything, you know, everything else where she's not. And, you know, people are coming back to from Chicago, their cousins, their brothers, their sisters. The man was um, who she rode the bus with was going back north, but he had left his family. And, you know, I think about the Great Migration very differently because my mama didn't want to leave Alabama. She got married and left Alabama, but had always planned to come back home. And then she passed away before she had a chance to do so. And so... I really think about how the Great Migration, it just seems like great is such a big word for something that a lot of people did out of necessity or kind of believed that the Great Migration was going to lead to all these better things. And so these girls you see over time, Rosie has really bought into that. And Alice is like, no, my stars are here. My people are here. This is our soil. I want this. Um. And then, but then also somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, how, why didn't she find Rosie? And I said, well, you have to think about it. Rosie left in 1951. There were no cell phones. There's no, you know, Instagram. There's no, the connection was so tenuous. And so many of our families were broken just by that one missed letter, one missed connection. And it wasn't because some, somebody was a jerk and walked out or wasn't, Mm -mm. it was just that one missed connection. And then our families were, we lost a cousin, a brother, an uncle forever. So, you know, that was, it was, it was painful, but that pain is something that is very real in our families. I mean, yeah, the, whether she, you know, when, when there was like, oh, is she dead? Right. Is she in jail? Like all of these things started coming up, but the biggest theme of that was exactly what you're saying is Alice might have to go the rest of her life. Precisely. Never knowing what happened. So did, many of us because did of that. the eviction, right? Again, and that tenuousness is the pain. It's it's not the it's not a definitive answer, mm-hmm. and that living with that can be really hard. And I think that yeah, there were so many moments of tension that came up in that. But the stars being almost a a protective thing mm-hmm. or or a connecting thing. I know you had so one of my favorite authors is Willa Cather, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and her language of being part of something entire. 
Mm-hmm. That like when you die, you become a part of something entire. Mm-hmm. And that being happy is dissolving into something complete and great, mm-hmm. which is you know beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And you said that storytellers capture the entire starry night. Yes. And I was like, dang, if that's not how this book played out, you know, is just <laughs> understanding the power of what it means to kind of look up and say, yeah, there's some magic up there, but there mm-hmm. are people that, that came before me. So talk about for you as a writer, the ancestral strength that you drew to, to write this and how that ties into even your own life of, you know, the stars being your own answers, ancestors looking down on you. You know, I, I come from just an, an incredible family. I have ancestors that I know, ancestors that I don't know. I have elders now that continue telling stories. My cousins continue to tell me stories. My cousins are all, you know, elder cousins to me, so I'm the baby cousin. So um, a lot of times it's just story time for me. <laughs> but, you know, my thing is we are all spirits inhabiting a body for a very limited period of time on this earth. We are lucky if we live you know, 80, 90, 100 years. But our spirit lives on. My mom has been gone two decades, but her spirit lives on. And so my thing is, when we look into the universe and we look into the stars and we look into a shop window and we see a hat that reminds us of our grandmama, that's a spirit that will continue to live on. Somebody says something to me about my mama. Somebody said the other day, I look like her. And then it, 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 you know, then they start to tell stories about her, about how she impacted their life. And so as long as that spirit stays alive, because there's memory, then that person is here. And the legacy that we leave is that spirit. And so I very much feel touched by people who I never met, because there's something about them. Like she says, I share a turtle birthmark with somebody I never met. The coils of my hair with somebody I never met. All these things, these, you know, my laugh I share with somebody I've never met. Because that's, to me, connecting with the spirits of people who made me, who, who not only made me, but had the faith to, to fight and to work hard for generations, for the generations ahead that they would never meet. Yeah, something about history when you really understand it mm-hmm. and, and you can be so close to it like you are is it makes you want to give your best. Absolutely. Even because if, I mean, it was so hard. Absolutely. And the hardest thing I ever to do is write a book, please. <laughs> and, and that's where like the building of New Jessup and a lot of these communities is what you're really trying to center. It seemed like was that this was about a community coming together to build, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it wasn't about the antagonism toward anything else. It was, it was the togetherness of the endeavor. Well, and, you know, I think a lot about, you know, Toni Morrison um, and August Wilson sort of both addressed this when they talked about why they wrote about black communities. And, you know, without this sort of like centering of whiteness and the antagonize, the antagonism between the communities, between here, Jessup and New Jessup. And certainly that plays a role, mm-hmm. right? But... You know, it really, we are full people with our own lives and our own, you know, our own dinner tables and our own jokes and our own everything. And by centering the conflict, you know, I'm a, I'm a novelist. I get the same 100,000 words as everybody else. And so I can either center conflict for 100,000 words or I can center and take space and let this community take space and breathe. And then show encroachment, certainly. But there's a difference between centering the conflict 
and centering the community and sort of highlighting the areas of of encroachment. That's yeah. a very different way, I think. That's a great of way approaching, to put it. Of approaching the art because otherwise you don't even get to know Miss Vivian. Certainly you don't get to see her stick Mrs. Wicks with that pin. Yeah. You know, there's the intimacy of all of these characters that made (laughs) it just so special because, yeah, you got to know. Yeah, you get to know them. You get to know Pastor and you get to know, you know, Patience and you get to know the fellas. And, you you know, you get to hear Hugo embellish the size of that buck. Yeah. You ever seen an 18 point buck? (laughs) Yeah, the jokes. There was so much laughing, too, that went on in these where they were all, you know, joking on each other. That was Mm -hmm. just. Again, they're in the midst of a really big struggle, right? right within the community, within the country. But yeah, it was those moments of intimacy, even the um, uh, the roast that they had. Oh, uh, the pig roast. Yeah. yeah. It's just all of that stuff shows, mm-hmm. yeah, again, the power of the community and even when there's disagreements. And, you know, one thing that I, I really was wanting to talk to you about mm-hmm. was the notion of... Um, you, we, we've touched on it, but like what integration had to offer, mm-hmm. but it's more so in the contemporary sense. I don't remember if it was with MPB, maybe up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Did you do an in- interview with I them? did, I did. The common, uh, I guess, reaction to black safe spaces still has that tension. I remember I lived in Nashville. One mm-hmm. of my friends mm-hmm. who was a black man in, in Dayton, mm-hmm. known since kindergarten. He moved down to, Na- to Nashville. And when we went to get... Uh, biscuits one day at a pretty white place Mm -hmm. he's like look around Mm -hmm. and then he started telling me where he spends time Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the black communities that i would have never seen Mm -hmm. so how does this book explore the idea of what it means to have black safe spaces in the now by using the historical debate between integration and segregation you know I always just go back to there's really nothing new under the sun. And these communities, they have existed since before emancipation. And this idea that, you know, we don't know how to live among one another in peace. We don't know how to love our communities. We don't know how to take care of our communities. That doesn't come from within our communities. You know, that's a very concerted effort Mm -hmm. by certain people to say black people don't know how to do this. Black people don't know how to take care of their communities. So we're just going to eminent domain it because we need to run a highway. You know, that is a very concerted effort. And so now when we have communities and we have like we're having the conversation about safe spaces in work, safe spaces in higher education, you know, we come up, we still come up in communities of love. And so when we leave a community to go to a job or leave a city or whatever, to go to a new city, we know what to seek out. That's why Alice says, the first thing she says is, is there a church here? She's seeking community because that's what she's done in Rensselaer because they had community in Rensselaer. So she knew what to look for. And even she got in the church, she said, I can't believe this is a black people church. It's too nice. Right. But, but her first thought is I need to seek community. And so that's no different than today. You know, community is where I go to be fortified. You know, life for me ain't been no crystal stair, but I certainly know that there are certain people in my community, certain, you know, organizations, certain, you know, my writer friends, the, you know, the black writers space. They've all fortified me for this work, even just by existing and writing the work that they've written. So to me, it's important 
to find your people. I mean, we're always talking about finding your people. And I've had queer readers come to me and say, this to me is about finding my people mm. and really finding, you know, I've had readers from all different spectrums come to me and say, I've read your book and I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a black woman living in 1957. But to me, it was about the beauty and the complexity of finding your people. So, you know, I, I just, for Alice... It was such a gift to be able to live in her shoes for those for, for those few years, for the time that I got to write the book and the time I get to come and visit with y'all about it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I just feel like when we are seeking community, I'm, you know, right now, not so secret secret is for my paperback, I'm putting together an HBCU tour. So my aim is to visit a bunch of HBCUs because I am a product of a historically black college, university. My family is. It's community. And so to me, it's like my paying homage, paying honor to them. I love that. And you're you're doing that with, you want, you mentioned that you want to do a, a writer's, um, is it, was it a residency in I, Alabama? I do want to do a writer's residency in Alabama. Yeah. That, yes. that The last thing I want to talk about is what it means to, to, you really want to bring people uh, together to give them a chance to write these stories because you see that as preservation. Absolutely. I mean, there. So I was telling you about Hobson City. Hobson City just opened their museum, and it's a museum where people who live in Hobson City can bring their artifacts. Because, you know, people ask me all the time what kind of research I did. I did, of course, the research I read, and I went to like different libraries and stuff. Last time's research was. People opening up their home to me, coming out and having scrapbooks and, you know, feeding me and, you know, but literally feeding me and then telling me or me standing in a kitchen with an elder how she's making biscuits. You know what I'm saying? Like that to me, I don't call that research because it feels too clinical, but all of that went in and goes into the book. Right. But we have all of these reservoirs and all these people you need to say when an elder dies a whole library burns so we have all these people who are walking repositories of history who are getting up there and even if they're younger some of them are losing their memory but then you also have black writers who are sort of part of the southern diaspora so they've been part of their products of the great migration they're gone they're out west they're in the midwest they're you know all over but they feel this real rootedness to the south and so i always get oh you know my people are from this place in alabama and so you know and so i'm like y'all need to come home but there's a disconnect because they don't know their people so my thing is i want to give them a place to write and steep in history, steep in the community, and, you know, see what develops out of it. I'm very, I would love to do that. I would love to have black writers come back to Alabama. Yeah, coming home. It's, coming home. It's, there's nothing better. Come there's on no home. better story. Where's the camera? Come on home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say, that, I mean, this book was a huge gift to, oh, to me, I think, you. to the world. I think everybody should should read it and I mean this was just amazing to meet you and talk thank you for being part of this thank you for taking the time this was such a pleasure and I appreciate y'all even inviting me thank you wonderful (laughs) all right Bright on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival the South's literary lawn party 